You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. Nice to see you all. Nice to see you all. This is a um, this is a big deal this weekend. This is the first post-Easter uh, four-service weekend, and so that's a big deal for us as we embark upon new territory. And I just want to uh, remind you all why why we're doing this um, and why we're excited about this as well. I was away for a couple weeks. Ago, I was away for one of the weekends we did baptisms, and I got to watch the video of that because I want to see how the the sheep are doing and hear the stories, of course. And I got to do that. Uh, this week and life after life and uh, circumstance after circumstance of someone who was dead but then made alive and in recent days the Lord moved and saved them and coming out of such uh, misery and need and then finding Jesus Christ and being saved. And I was wiping tears kind of out my computer as I was watching this. I mean, that, that's why we're here. That's, that's why we're adding um, another service. More people can come in. I was uh, just walking in uh, for the service I uh, just uh, before this and uh, a lady grabbed me in the hallway and she says, Pastor, I want you to know a year ago from now I was drinking wine at a jazz bar. But she says, now I'm here and I'm loving the Lord. Never been happier. You know? And the smile on her face, I'm telling, I know her story. I'm going to clap for that. Clap. Sure. Amen. And, and I just was like, yes, that's why we're doing this. Because it's not a small deal to start another service. You know? And as a church, though, together and united and say person after person, who is hearing the gospel and being saved. So I'm just going to take a moment. I just, I feel this is significant, what we're doing, like represented over the course of all these services this weekend going forward by faith, amen, by faith, and that we're in it together, and the Lord is with us and strengthening us, but I want to pray. And I want you to pray with me because it's us together and we need the Lord, amen? We need the Lord. We cannot do this. And uh, so I feel particularly weak, praise the Lord, and maybe you feel that way in the same way too, better than feeling feeling strong in ourselves, right? Right? Weak before God, because then we find out how strong He is. Let me just pray as we get into this now, and even as we start, Lord, as we begin this weekend, which is really new territory again for us, and this is a big deal. Spiritually, I believe it's a big deal, and just together, united, oh God, would you help us? Oh God, would you strengthen us? Oh God, would you lead us? We are seeking to live right now by faith. We are seeking to honor you, Lord, with the opportunity we have And we are praying, oh God, that you will give us joy in the midst of serving you. Yes, Lord, in your presence indeed there is fullness of joy. And I pray, Lord, we would know the presence of God and we would know the favor of God and we would know the fruitfulness of our God at this time. Oh Lord, would you do that? Unite us like never before. May people be be called in all sorts of different ways and just with a fervency and a passion for the things of Jesus Christ. Help us and strengthen us. There's no chance we have apart from you. But I pray right now, Lord, there's a sense of yes, expectation, faith, and fervency, Lord, as we gather together, united together in the greatest purpose ever, the the building of the church of Jesus Christ. And we pray this in his name. If you agree, please say amen. Amen. All right. And uh, now uh, please find a Bible and open that up uh, to the book of 1 Samuel. 
the book of 1 Samuel. And as we open our Bibles up, and if you want, you can turn to chapter 13. We'll start there just for a brief moment, and then we'll get on to our main text. But as we turn to 1 Samuel, this means we've just begun a new series examining the life of David, the life of King David. Lord willing, uh, this is going to take us from here until the end of June, and uh, I believe it's going to be a very exciting time as we do this as well. And the reason I believe we're in for an exciting ride is because there are few lives that are more interesting and talked about, not only in God's Word, but elsewhere as well, than the life of David, or the life of King David. Did you know that David is mentioned in the New Testament more than any other Old Testament character? Did you know that more has been written about David in God's Word than any other biblical character, of course, save Jesus? One commentator counted uh, 14 chapters on Abraham. 14 chapters on Joseph, 11 chapters on Jacob, 10 chapters on Elijah, and then there's David. There seems to be 66 chapters dedicated in some form to the life of David within the Bible, and that doesn't even include the 59 references that refer to David in the New Testament. Now, what this means is God wrote a book And he's decided that he wanted to say a lot about this man David's life, and there's so many lessons that he wants us to learn from them, and with his help, we shall, during this series, we will learn lessons pertaining to the life of David. The single, though the single greatest lesson we learn from David's life by far, and this is the lesson that's most important to God as well, it's this, is that David was a man after the heart of God. In fact, he's the only one in Scripture to carry that title. He's the only one described as a man after God's own heart. Now, A.W. Tozer, who is one of my favorite authors, who wrote the book, The Pursuit of God, which is a book really detailing the heart that is hungry for the Lord in the pursuit of Him, Tozer delighted in using the phrase, the fellowship of the burning hearts. That's a great phrase, isn't it? I love that. The fellowship of the burning hearts, indicating hearts that are coming together that are on fire for the Lord and warming each other with that fervency. And so Tozer loved to use that phrase, the fellowship of the burning heart. But here's what we know to be true. The originator of that fellowship, the fellowship of the burning heart, the originator belongs to David. Because he was the first one and really the only one that was called again a man after God's own heart. By the way, the fellowship of the burning heart, I mean, that's my greatest desire for us as a church. That if anything, we would be men and women gathering together in a fellowship of hearts burning and with zeal for the Lord God Almighty. Because when we are on fire for him in that way, everything else just seems to fall into place. And so as we start this series, I want to kind of just unpack this theme here, a man after God's own heart, in a kind of a quick way, but an important way, and then we'll launch in to actually getting to know David as the Bible introduces us to him. So with that, turn to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 13, uh, verse 14. I want you to see this here. 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 14. This is the passage in the Old Testament that refers to David as a man after the heart of of God. <laughs> so notice there, chapter 13, verse 14 says this. But now your king, so this is Samuel talking to Saul, okay? Saul's being told here that his kingdom shall be no more because of his disobedience. But so Samuel says, But now Saul, your kingdom shall not continue. 
Uh, But the Lord has sought out a man, a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people. I love that. The Lord has commanded that David shall be prince, king over his people, (coughs) because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. So it's this verse then, this verse that highlights the heart of David, after the heart of God. It's this verse that is also detailed in Acts chapter 13, verse 22 on the screen for you here. I want you to see it. And this is what it says. Here's the ESV. I also wanted to include the NIV because I just like the way it's kind of said at the end. ESV says, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, okay? And, and who will do all my will. What a, what, a, what, a, what a beautiful phrase. Again, only said about David in this way. The NIV says, I found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, and he will do everything I want him to do. That's great right there. The heart that's seeking the Lord is the heart that says, God, whatever you want. God, wherever you want me to go. God, whatever you want me to do. And God loves the heart that is following and pursuing after his own heart. That is so exciting. So this posture, this passion, and this principle, it's the game changer for any human who has ever lived. And by the way, that phrase, a man after God's own heart, can't you just hear the first and greatest commandment embedded within it? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. Right there, the first and greatest commandment is the first and greatest commandment for a good reason. This is what God cares about. This is what he's going after. This was David. And that's why this series is going to be, I believe, such a great one, because it's going to turn our hearts towards him and towards his heart, because this is what the Lord is looking for, and that's precisely where we start today then. And here's our sermon title. It's this, The Lord Looks on the Heart. The Lord Looks on the Heart. Why? Why? Because all of life is ultimately an overflow of the, tell me, the heart, right? Uh, Proverbs 4, keep your heart with all vigilance. For from it flow the springs of life. Love with your heart's everything. Where your heart is, there your treasure is. You want to find out what your treasure? Find your heart, find your heart, find your treasure. And Luke, it says, for out of the, uh, the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. As we talk, we reveal our heart. Our heart determines who we are. Our heart determines where we go. Our heart determines our speech. Our heart determines everything in our lives. That's why God cares so much about the heart. And we get to focus on David, a man after God's own heart. So then our passage for this service right here is 1 Samuel chapter 16 now, okay? We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 13, and we are introduced to David in this passage. He's not brought up before this. This is the first time he is. And I want you to look at verse 1 of chapter 16. This serves as a great introduction and context to where we're going over the next several weeks. It says this in verse 1, The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite for I have, this is great, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Okay? So again, here's a great chance to build our context. Israel up until this point has been governed by judges, and God was their king. Samuel would prove to be the last of the judges, and the reason for this is the people no longer wanted just a judge, they wanted a king. They weren't satisfied, 
really. They weren't satisfied with their heavenly king. They wanted an earthly king because ultimately they wanted to be like the other nations. Now, what so often happens here, and there's a lot of application through this text, God's people, what they did is they looked around and they compared themselves with the world. As they looked around, be careful, man, you'll do this all the time too, just as I will. And you look around the world and you're like, wait, I want that. And I want to be like that. And I want what they have. And we start to turn to God and say, you're not good enough because I want the things I can see and touch. I want, I want the things that I believe are going to make me truly happy. And so the other nations at times too, they come up to the Israelites and be like, hey, Israel, where's your king? Israel would be like, well, he's, he's in heaven. And they were like, that's lame. Your king's in heaven, really? Well, we, our king's over there. You can see him, man. He's in the flesh. And, and the Israelites, they kind of fell to this stuff. And they're like, yeah, where, where, where is our king? And, and we want a king like the other nations and all that kind of. So they grew frustrated with their lack of an earthly king. And they began to demand an earthly king. Now, let's make sure we know who got hurt the most here. In 1 Samuel 8, I'll read it for you. 1 Samuel 8, verse 7, uh, God said this to Samuel. Samuel, they have not rejected you. They have rejected me from being king over them. Here is the wickedness of the human heart, trading the invisible God for visible men. That's a bad trade. But here's what Israel wants to do and will be tempted to do the same, of course, as well. So the people of Israel, they come up to Samuel and they make three main complaints. The first one is, Samuel, you're really old. It's in the Bible. They do say that. Samuel, you're, you're really old. Yeah, yeah, you've been fine in the past, but we think your age has caught up with you, and now you're no longer useful. You're really old. Secondly, your sons are no good. And they were right. His sons were no good. They weren't following the ways of the Lord. And thirdly, they're like, we want a king like the nations. We want to be like the nations. Samuel, you're old. Your kids are no good. And we want to have a king just like the other nations around us. And so what does God do? Does God strike lightning upon them all? You know what God does, actually, and this is very, very important too? What God does, he gives them the worst judgment he could ever give them, really, which is what? He gives them what they want. Loved ones, do you know that really the the worst way that we can be treated by God if he actually gave us everything we wanted? Can you imagine if all your prayers were really answered according to your will? I mean, we think we know. We don't. That would be a total disaster. Do you know that? If you want a train wreck in your life, have everything you think that should happen and you want happen, and we'd be in utter misery and disaster among us all. The worst judgment God can give is to give us what we want. And in this case, he's like, you want a king? All right, I'll give you a king. It's going to be your way, though, and it's going to be your king, and you're going to see how this is going to work out. It would be by the choice of the people and by the will of the people, and this is when Saul becomes king. Now, that's a whole other sermon series, right? It really is. And we'll touch on some of it as we go through this. But Saul would have a decent start to being a king other than hiding in the baggage when he was called. Remember that story? Saul's hiding in the baggage when it's his time to kind of step up and they had to go find him anyways. I just, that's amazing to me. But he would have a decent start, but he would have a horrible finish. What were Saul's downfalls? There was a bunch of them. Um, predominantly, he was a paranoid man. He was a self-empire guy. Uh, He was riddled with insecurity, he was uh, full of disobedience, and he was all about preserving self and, and, and raging with jealousy. Other than that, he was perfect, all right? So he just had a decent start, but then he had a terrible finish. And this is when it got so bad. It got so bad, God really just kind of said, I'm fed up. I'm fed up with this guy. He's no longer going to be king. I'm done with him. I'm not going to seek for myself and provide myself a king who is after my heart, not his own. It's, it's amazing. And here now is the setting in which we meet David. 
God's like, you've had your way and this hasn't worked out at all. And now we're going to have my way. Now I will, the text says, I will provide for myself a king. God says, I will seek for myself a man after my own heart. How much does this matter to God? It matters to God in every way. Once again, can you notice? Man's way, give us a king, give us a king. Our way, give us a king. God's like, you're going to have your way. We're seeing this again in God's word, okay? The ways of God are not the ways of man. Israel's like, we want a tall guy. We want a guy who's good in battle. We want a guy who looks the part. We want a guy with success and, and intellect. The guy who the people look at and be like, yeah, yeah, we follow him. God's like, you can have your way. But listen, the ways of God are not the ways of man. You know what happens in our lives? So often in our lives, we pull out our map of our life and we kind of hand it before God. And our map in our life is usually, here's point A, here's point B, and there's a straight line in between A and B, and it's all blessing and happiness, and there's no ups or downs, no bumps, no curves, and we're like, A, B, God, bless my map. I speak the truth, don't I? This is the way I see my life going. This is how I want it to be. I don't want any kind of ups and downs. I don't want any curves. Or a, B, God, you bless, because surely that's the God you are. Make my life the way I want it to be. And God's like, well, it's not exactly how it's going to go because my version of your map, yeah, it has A, and yes, it has B, but there are some turns along the way, and there are some ups, and there are some downs, and there will be some hard times, and there will be some weather changes, and there will be some, and so you're going to get to B, but it just won't be the way you think it's going to be, right? And this is called the will of God. And we're like, blah, 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 blah. But see, the mature Christian says, but I'm okay with God's will because God always knows best. People, Saul, God, David, because he wants a man or a woman who is passionately after his own heart. So let that truth sink in. Just let it sink in. God is not impressed with the world, loved ones. God is impressed with the heart after his. You should know this verse, 2 Chronicles 16, 9. You should know this verse. For the eyes of the Lord run true and through, to and fro throughout the whole earth. I love that. Uh, the eyes of God across this world, across this church, across this room, across the service right now. To and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support. God wants to bless and strengthen those whose heart is blameless toward him or completely his. So the eyes of the Lord are searching, man. Can I find someone? Can I find a woman? Can I find a man? And God loves to work within those whose hearts are completely his. And what does the Lord do? What does the Lord do when he finds a heart that is after his own? That's what we learn now from 1 Samuel 16. Here's the first thing we learn that God does with a heart that is after his own. Number one, this. This is the heart that will be set apart. This is the heart that will be set apart from others for the blessing and the glory of God. So look at verse 1 again, 1 through 3 now. So the Lord says to Samuel, hey, Samuel, you got to get over Saul, man. I'm done with him, okay? Samuel loves Saul, right? But he's like, fill your horn with oil and go. I love that. He's like, I got a plan. I got a guy set aside already. For I've provided for myself, myself, a king among his sons, the sons of Jesse. Verse 2, and Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. Not, that's fair. Saul was king. Saul was paranoid. Saul was mentally insecure. And Samuel's like, but isn't that, isn't, that, isn't that so often what we do? God says, go here. We're like, yeah, but. God says, I want you to do this. We're like, yeah, but I, what, what, I think I need to. Or I, we so often do that. God, I want you to be baptized. But, 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 but. Anyways, this is Samuel 2. He's like, what, 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 what? And God's like, hey, listen, listen. Take a heifer with you and say, I've come to the sacrifice 
sacrifice to the Lord and invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do and you shall anoint, I love this, and you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. By the way, in verse one, I would highlight or underline the phrase, for I provided for myself a king among songs and I would also highlight that last phrase, verse three, and you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. I think the most powerful phrase is the first one though, I have provided for myself a king, okay? Now, hear this principle of truth. It's this. God will never allow his work to die by the death or failure of a man. Okay? So just because Saul wasn't working out, that doesn't mean God's work is done. If a work is truly of God, it will carry on despite the, the up and down of a particular person or a particular organization, right? That's why loved ones, pastors come and go, man. Leaders come and go. Elders come and go. Uh, churches come and go. Denominations come and go, right? But God always carries on with the work of his church because he's God and we're not. Do not put your trust in man. Put your trust in God, all right? This, next week, this church, 12 years old. 12 years old, next weekend. This church wasn't here 12 years ago. Think about that. Here we are and all this happened. It's pretty awesome. 12 years ago, we didn't exist the way we do now. And the only reason I think we're here, God sees, I'm going to work in you. I'm going to, I'm going to be able to be glorified in you. But listen, we're only here as long as we have hearts after God. And the moment we're not and we get off track, he's like, okay, someone else. Someone else, lampstand gone, someone else is raised up, he continues on, we get left in the dust unless we remain to be people who are about him and his glory and having hearts after his. Saul, sorry man, but God's like, but I got someone. I got someone. Notice that Samuel is commanded to go to the house of Jesse. Why is that so important? Well, because Jesse, Bible trivia, okay, Bible trivia, ready? Ready? I love Bible trivia. Not the best at it, but I do love it. Jesse is the grandson of, anyone, anyone? So nice, nice, that's right, Boaz. You're always afraid, what if I call it out and I get it wrong, right? Yeah, yeah, but Ruth and Boaz. You're like, okay, so why is that so significant? Well, for a number of reasons, Isaiah chapter 11 verse 1 also is prophesying about Jesse. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Now that shoot is referring to Jesus Christ, of course, yes, yes. So notice this. I just want you to see this, okay? So Samuel, go to the house of Jesse, okay? This is, I just couldn't resist. I love biblical theology so much. I couldn't resist not sharing this with you. I just have to, so I hope you're excited like I am about it as well. Go to the house of Jesse, and so he's like, okay, Samuel's like David, or he's, I'm finding the king who will be David, but God's like, yeah, yeah, but when I tell you to go to Jesse's house, okay, this is Jesse, grandson, Ruth and Boaz, in the line, of course, of of Jesse and David, and the line of David then, and from the stump of Jesse, imagine a shoot coming out, Jesus Christ. This will, be, this will be the line of my son who's going to come and live a perfect life and die for the sins of mankind and be raised from the dead that everyone who looks upon him by grace through faith will be saved. So God, God kind of chuckling in his sovereign awesome plan. And he's like, go to the house of Jesse. Yeah, yeah, there'll be a king there. But it's pointing to a greater king, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. So, so, God's plan for David, yes. God's plan for his son, Jesus, yes. But ready, even, even as he says, go to the house of Jesse, it's God's plan for the salvation of the world. Just, and Samuel doesn't know it. 
but we do now, and I think that's tremendous. Do you think that's tremendous? This is the Bible becoming one book, and here we are coming together. There's, listen, there's always so much more going on. Samuel, you're going to find the king, but even within that command, there's so much more happening at a greater scale. Loved one's application for you and me, our vision is so often one-dimensional. Me, 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 me. I'm going to bore the tourists from last, from last weekend. Navel gazing, navel gazing. All we see is our life and where we are, our church, whatever it is. And we got to look up and look around. God is working on infinite dimensions, infinite dimensions. And so let me illustrate this way, okay? Here's a picture, and here we are in Harvest Bible Chapel, Oakville, and here's our pen being dropped. And so often, like, if this represents us or even just where we are, we're just focusing on this, you know? And this would be Samuel going to kind of seek out who the next king would be. And our pen's dropped here, and you could put your house up here and just focus on you, whatever. But we think our map, our map just consists of kind of what's happening here. And we, and we love this, and as we should, we're fired up about this, as we should be, we're excited about this. But we got to remember, man, it's just when things happen in life, it's, it's a little bigger than this. We drop our pins just in our lives. And this really accounts for a whole bunch of us, but really this pin is most often dropped like my parking spot. You know what I mean? My parking spot, my car, my home, my job, my family, my me, 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 me. But we got to, okay, press play now. We got to remember, man, there's a, a much bigger thing going on right here. Hey, sound effects and everything. Isn't that cool? Look at that. We got to notice though, like, like so, so we're a pin drop, but there's this whole thing called the world. And on, beyond the world, there's this whole thing called the universe. And God is sovereign over it all. And then we can't see us right now. There's a pin drop indicating where we are, right? But we're this little tiny, little bitty thing, and we focus on a little bitty thing. But God's like, man, listen, I'm doing so much more than you can even imagine. And we get so caught up in our individual movements of each day, and we fail sometimes to recognize when God says, go to the house of Jesse, he's also indicating the plan for the salvation of the world. Because our God is so awesome. I just, I just want... I just want to share with you to get a chance to step back a little bit and say, maybe there is more than happening. Just what I see, there is. Be encouraged. There is. Because life is not ultimately about us. It's about him. But he wants to use us as connecting points. And so many different... Listen, there's, there's things happening in your life right now, and you're just like, the pain, the pain, the pain. But you fail to see the incredible networking of God's orchestration in his sovereignty and the way he weaves and stuff that's impacting things you don't even have a clue about. But one day in heaven, maybe you will. And the glory he will get. It takes faith to believe that, doesn't it? But again, that's just a side point right here in this text, but I couldn't resist. I hope you like it too. It's so exciting. Back to our text now. Back to our text. <laughs> the Lord has provided for himself a king. And he says to Samuel in verse 3, check it out, he says, and you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. You know what I love about this scene? So Samuel's on his way to anoint David. We don't know David's name yet, according to this passage. But I love, David has no clue what's coming. Like David's just out there tending a sheep. He's in, the, he's in the shepherd's field. And yet, listen, he has no clue what's coming, but he's already been chosen. He's already been chosen under the sovereignty of God. He's been chosen by the health of his heart. What do we learn here, love? There's David tending the sheep. He has no idea. The oil is on its way. Awesome. What are we learning? We're always being watched, scrutinized, evaluated, and tested by God to see if we can be entrusted with more. We're always, man. Whether we know it or not, God is always watching us. He sees everything. David's out there, man. He's, he has no clue. He's just doing his thing. He's a little teenager. He's going along. And little does he know that Samuel is on his way to anoint him as the future king of Israel. That blows me away. 
And we're also learning here too, this is a heart set apart by God and for God. You know, I have a word for women here today. Women uh, who are moms, women who have a mother role somehow in life, women who one day want to be a mom. Do you know that, again, I couldn't resist this stuff as well. David never mentions his dad, Jesse. We know it's here in the text, but David never mentions him personally. David mentions his mom twice and refers to her as a maidservant of the Lord or as a, as a maidservant. Now, you can't read too much into that, but we can read something into that. The fact that in Holy Scripture, David mentions his mom is indicating that she must have meant a lot to him. And you know, all of you know, when a, when a child is raised, I mean, he's being impacted, she's being impacted by someone. And you have this young man who's got this unusual propensity for an affection for God and a love for him. There's someone in his life shaping his heart. You're like, God is sovereign over David. God is sovereign over David's heart. But God also sovereignly uses tools in our lives. And moms, you may never know, and I'll talk to men at some other point in this series, but moms, you may, you may never know the impact you fully have as you are entrusted with the heart of a child. And David's mom must have had a big role as there he was, eight out of eight sons. I believe he had two sisters as well. And there he is, though, being shaped by his mom. And who would have thought that God would sovereignly use her to see her love and her correction and her uh, mentoring upon David's life to be the only man in Scripture who would be called a man after God's own heart. Hey, just be encouraged, man. Do, do not consider things little when it comes to the will of God. We never quite know all that's going on as we seek to be faithful for Him. So the heart that is in pursuit of the Lord is the heart set apart for God. Number two, we learn this is this is the heart that will be found, okay? A heart after the heart of God is a heart that will be found. So look at verse four now. Verse four, it says this, Samuel did what the Lord commanded, good for you, Samuel, that's awesome, and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, do you come peaceably? And he said, peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them um, to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance, on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. This verse better be highlighted, okay? Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. These verses right here are God's heart for our heart. Notice first in verse 4, Samuel comes to Bethlehem, the elders tremble, most likely because Saul's leadership is leaking down, Saul was paranoid, massively insecure, and so they're like, oh no, 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 Samuel's here, we're dead, something went wrong, we're all going to be killed, whatever, did you come peace? He's like, relax, relax, I come in peace, I want to consecrate you, we're going to do a sacrifice, make sure Jesse and his sons come, by the way, make sure they come, and so Jesse and his sons do come, and Notice the first up is his eldest son, Eliab. Notice in verse 6, notice in verse 6 that Samuel's more than impressed. Samuel, it says in his heart, he says, surely this is the Lord's anointed. Now this is interesting, is it? Samuel, with all his experience, all his wisdom, all the things he has seen God do, and yet Samuel still didn't fully understand the ways of God in the way that he should. And so God stops him right there and teaches him this incredible lesson in verse 7. 
He says, don't look on the outside, Samuel. Don't look at his height. Don't look at his stature. That's what man looks at. He says, I, Samuel, I, the Lord, I look on what's on the inside. I look at the heart because the heart determines everything. So that is why then Eliab comes up. Nope. Abinadab comes up. Nope. Then Shammah comes up. Nope. And four other sons pass by. And God says no to each one. Why does God say no to each one? Ready? Ready? Because God sees their hearts. And here's the principle. Here's the principle we're learning here, okay? A.W. Pink, he said this. He summarizes this. He says, God ignores that in which the flesh glories. The flesh glories in the world. The flesh glories in the celebrity of our day. The flesh glories in appearance, external behaviors, riches, clothing, whatever it is, the status, the, the, the external talents. God's like, I could care less about that. You care less about what the world cares about. In fact, God ignores that in which the flesh glories. So, so okay, ready? Wisdom, wisdom calling out right here. Wisdom, 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 ready? Wisdom says, if you build your life on that, which is of the flesh and the world glories in, you are building your life in a way in which God will ignore you altogether. God ignores the things of the flesh, that in which the world glories in. If we build our lives on what the flesh glories, we build our life on that which God ignores. Wisdom, man, it's just wisdom. And is there any greater idolatry of our day in some form, in some way, than the idolatry of the appearance of man? You know, right now, I I just long to pull aside the young woman who's here, and everything you're taught in this world is leading you down a path of your identity, your value, your worth, is everything about how you look. All the external, temporal, fleeting shallow, empty pursuits the world puts. I just long to pull you aside and say, young woman, is it possible for you to believe that the Lord looks on the heart? Is it possible for you to believe that in the end, in the end, I'm not against women wanting to take care of themselves. We're against women who believe that's their value and that's their idea. Listen, listen, young woman, I, I just, wherever you are, the Lord looks on the heart. And the heart is all that matters at the end of the day. I long to pull aside the, the man maybe going through kind of the time of life that I'm in. It's amazing that age and where you all of a sudden start to realize, wow, I'm not getting any younger. And you the temptation, I gotta, I gotta make up for it. I gotta get a faster car. I, I, I gotta get a better wardrobe. I gotta get a, 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 a younger girl in my arm as so many men horrifically do. To pull you aside and just say, listen, is it possible for you to believe that the Lord looks on the heart? He looks on the heart. Can you believe that the most important thing that you bring to the table is not the external, but what's inside, and that the Lord looks on the heart? You know, I, I think of this verse 7, and the Lord sees not as man sees. The Lord looks on the heart. I, I really believe in many ways this is the driving ambition of our church. I mean, this is so much who we want to be. Why, why, why? Because what is the heart? The heart is the character of the man. It's the character of the woman. Your heart determines where you go. The heart determines who you are. The heart determines how you respond. The heart determines what you love. Character, integrity, 
character, one life, no matter where you are. That's why I'm telling you, give me an elder with a heart for the Lord. That's all I need. Give me a staff member with a heart for the Lord. Just, just give me a staff member who loves the Lord with all their heart, and I'm good, man. Things, things will work out. Give me a small group leader with a heart for the Lord. Give me children of God in this place with a heart for the Lord. Just surround me with men and women who have a genuine, not perfect, but a genuine heart for the Lord. And I like our chances. I like where we're going. I like what God will do. I I will long to see the impact of hearts gathered, the fellowship of the burning hearts, longing to be used of God in the pursuit of Him. When your heart's in the place of affection for the Lord, it affects your life, your marriage, your ministry, your everything. You cannot, you cannot eliminate a heart truly set on God. It overflows into every way I think, everything I do, everything I want to be. What is character, character, character? This, this, this is the heart God works in. This is the heart that will be found. Eliab, no. Abinadab, no. Shammah, no. Four other sons, no. We're going to find out David? Yes. Because he's a man after God's own heart. You don't think integrity and character mean a lot to God? Notice what this verse says about David's choosing here. Psalm 78. Notice this. God chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheep pens, from tending the sheep. He brought him to be the shepherd. I love seeing We're going to see this in just a second. But just notice here in this verse, David's tending sheep, and God uses that to teach him about shepherding his people. God wastes nothing. And then notice, his inheritance, and David's, and David shepherded them with integrity. That, That phrase right there, man, with integrity, with uprightness, same person he is, whether he's in the shepherd's field with his family or whether he's somewhere else. Integrity of heart and with skillful hands he led them. This, this is what God works within. Honesty, integrity, consistency, character, humility. That defines the heart. The heart of where we are. The heart of who we are. God loves integrity. And this is such a great launching pad and for us to start to now unpack specifically the heart of David. I have four principles of David's heart that I'm excited to share with you right now that will be very telling as we get introduced to David officially here now. Four principles of David's heart. I want you to notice this. With his heart here, number one, he was faithful in his field. David was faithful in the field that was appointed to him. Now, his field happened to be a shepherd's field. What's your field, though? Remember, the whole time this is going on, right? Saul being rejected, Samuel uh, receiving from God, Samuel then grabbing the oil, Samuel going to Jesse's house, the seven sons pass by. The whole time this is going on, David's not even there. David's oblivious. Listen, he's oblivious, but he's being prepared for greatness. It was his time in the field that was preparing him for greatness it's amazing to me, the young people, I want greatness. Well, you got you to you, you serve your time in the field and grow like, like Christ. No, 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 I want greatness. I want it now. No, no, but see, God doesn't really work that way. Like, you got to, character matters to God, and you got to kind of go through the ringer, and you got you to be developed as a man or woman. No, no, I want greatness. Well, okay, well, you can, you can have your greatness here. It's just not going to go well, because you're not going to be the first person in the history of the world or the church that is foregoing the school of ministry set apart by God to truly be used for his glory and effectiveness and fruitfulness for him. 
him. Oh, I want greatness. Just go ahead, go ahead, you foolish person, and you will, you, you will find out it's going to be. David's in the field. He's faithful in the field. He's tending sheep. Why? Because no one else wanted to do it. Listen, David's doing the job no one else wanted to do, but he's doing the job God, God had for him to do. Question, loved ones, where's your field? See how Dave was faithful in the small? He was faithful where he was. Loved ones, we are called to be faithful where we are. Where's your field right now? Work, home, ministry, school. We're called to be faithful where we are. God has given each of us a field. Until we know differently, that's where he has sovereignly chosen us to be, that we might bring him glory even through the things that don't seem big at all. Listen, this is the principle of faithful with little, faithful with much. I remember as a youth pastor, I can take you to the intersection and the direction I was going. I was traveling west on Bloor at Bloor and Cothra. I was a youth pastor of 10 kids. I've told some of you the story before. I think one of them probably was saved. The other nine seemingly were not acting like it. I felt like I was a youth pastor my wife, Jill, was with me at that time, and we were basically like chauffeurs, you know? I just felt like, I just, I was thinking about that. Like, at the end of the night, there'd be like half the parents would come pick their kids, and half the parents would even show up and expect me to drive them home. I'm just kind of thinking, well, that's, that's just weird to me. I'm trying to think Pastor Carl driving every kid home from student ministry at this church. That would be a whole, a whole other deal. But there I am, and I remember I was just so frustrated and so discouraged in some ways as I was, Jill and I, kind of driving the kids back after I got to be by myself. But at that intersection, in that moment, God, it wasn't audible. It was Moments, though, it was just so clear. Robbie, faithful with little, faithful with much. It hit me so hard. Again, I, I could, I could, I was just past the intersection, heading west on Bloor, and I can tell you exactly that spot, that moment, that time. Will you be faithful with what I've given you, or will you complain? Do you trust me? And will you do what I've asked you to do at the time I've asked you to do it? This is what David did, man. I just love it. He was, he was totally unaware, faithful in his field. Secondly, this, he was faithful in the familiar. In the familiar. Okay, let's be honest. Being a shepherd can be, pretty, can be pretty dull. There's lots of days, man. There's not a lot of stuff happening. But if you wait long enough, something might happen. But pretty mundane. You know one of the things we do in our lives? We're like, man, my life's boring. All these other people, they get to do this and do that. And my job, I just feel like my job is so boring. I just I mean purpose in my life. That's a that's an improper theological perspective. You know, sit there and say, oh, my life doesn't really count for anything. And I, there's no real significance. I don't see the purpose of my day. I and mean, if you see the Lord, you see purpose. You know, my brother Jamie, he had a, a moment like this. So he lives outside Las Vegas. He's five years younger than me. He lives there. He's a golf course superintendent. So he grows grass for a living. Okay. And you could argue that could be pretty boring. He's got a pretty cool job. But so he's outside Vegas, and he's going to career day at his son's school. And don't put it up yet, okay, but he sends me this picture of the, of the dad in front of him that he had to follow. Talking about feeling a little bit insecure about describing your exciting job to the kids. Okay, here's a picture. Here's the guy that went in front of him. This is what it looked like, all right? <laughs> so only in Vegas, eh? Only in Vegas. So my brother Jamie took the picture, and he goes, I got to follow this. Look at the kids. are like, oh. 
like that. And Jamie says up and he's like, so I grow grass for a living, you know, and just like, you know, and, and so again, which is pretty exciting, man. I love my brother so much, whatever, right? But he'd be tempted to be like, oh, my job's so boring. But listen, no, 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 you're faithful where you are. You're faithful in the familiarity with God has appointed for you. And wouldn't you know it? David's in the field day after day, day after day. But what happened in the field we learn about in the field? He, turns out a lion came up one day. And within the mundane, are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready to be used? Kills the lion, a bear we learn about too. Are you ready? Are you falling asleep? Oh, there's no point. I'm not. Kills a lion, kills a bear. And of course, that would prepare him for some other situations. Let's see, uh, like Goliath? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, see, God would use stuff in the mundane and out of nowhere preparing him for true greatness in the days to come, which God would use then to bring himself so much. Are you, are you faithful in the familiar? Thirdly, he was faithful when forgotten. Look at verse 11 now, okay? So the seven sons pass by, and God's like, nope, 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 right? And then look at verse 11. Then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he's keeping the sheep. Insinuating there, oh, he's not even important. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. You know, this is remarkable to me. Jesse is commanded to bring his sons, and he doesn't even include David. Like, really? It's kind of like, hey, let's gather for a family photo, but let's not invite the youngest, right? I mean, now the poor child. Like, how are they feeling? Are we all here? Well, not really, but it doesn't matter. We're all here. Take the picture. And they're like, hey, guys, what's going on? Oh, got away. I mean, this is what Jesse's doing. What kind of dad does this? He doesn't, if he, if, he, if he thinks about him, he doesn't want him to be there. Okay, okay I, I, can't, I, I can't resist because I learned about this on this couple of previous weeks. Two parenting observations here. Parents, don't do this, okay? Here's, here's legitimate things Jesse did. They're serious, too. Jesse did not have equal appreciation for all his kids. Parents, don't do that, man. Where, well, this child's smart. This child's athletic. This child, they're, kinda, they're behaving more like Jesus. And we know, oh, that is put our eggs in that. Oh, yeah, over there, they're the lost cause. That, 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 that is an absolute failure on behalf of a parent. Ah, oh, whatever. And you may not say it out loud, but in your mind, you're, you're thinking, do, you, you know, they were so wrong, weren't they? David, ah, David, David, this, all oh, those seven brothers, oh, he's a, just a young punk. And, oh, he's going to be king one day, all right? All right? He's going to be king of Israel. And the only man in Scripture, man, just do not write people off, especially your own kids. And the second thing that Jesse did, which was a fail, he did not form mutual self-respect among his kids. So the brothers did not respect David. Again, he's just, he's just a tender of sheep. He's not important. And we'll find that out too on the field in the fight of Goliath. Eliab's jealous and starts ridiculing David for even showing up. But the greater question here, and just as we understand that David was forgotten, he was found faithful. And that's a powerful power. You know, one of the great tests you'll face in the Christian life is how will you respond when you are not remembered? How will we respond when we are overlooked? How will we respond when we are passed over? How will we respond when our, our expectations are not met in the way that we desire to be esteemed and held up? Will we be still be found faithful before our God or will we be pouting and moaning and complaining that God is not fair, God is not just, and we deserve more? But there's no hint of that in David because David was a man after God's heart. 
faithful in his field, in the familiar, when forgotten, and finally this, he was faithful in the future. He was faithful with his future. What's amazing about this scene? David shows up. David's anointed as the future king. But then what happens? You know what happens next? He goes back to the shepherd's field. We know this from 1 Samuel 16, 19. He was in the shepherd's field again. So tell me, you're, you're David. You're this young teenager. You show up. You're anointed. You're like, hey, you guys taking a family photo? Wasn't I invited or something like that, right? And then you get anointed as king. And you're like, what is going on? And what do you do? What do you do if you're David? What he does here, he does what he's supposed to do. He returns to the duty that God has assigned for him until he's told otherwise. Why? Because that's what a man after God's heart does. You wait on the Lord. And you try. It's, it's really remarkable to me. David's anointed as the future king. Whether or not everyone understood what was going on, David would have. And he could have gotten up as the youngest of eight sons and could have been flaunting it, you know, just kind of strut changed a little bit, you know, in your face, Eliab, right? You know what I mean? I'm sure he picked on him as an older brother or whatever. He could have done all that, but there's, there's just no sign of that. There's no indication. He's anointed and he returns to do what he was called to do, the job that no one else wanted to do. It's a remarkable character. It's remarkable. This is the heart the Lord works in. This is the heart that will be found, loved ones. And David was found. And this leads us to our third point, which is this. This is the heart that, of course, will be used. The heart that longs for the heart of God is the heart that will be used. Look at verse 12 now. Verse 12 says, And Samuel sent, or Jesse sent, and brought David in. Now, he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. So David was a good-looking. He wasn't the tallest, wasn't the most impressive physically, but he was a good-looking guy. He is in decent shape here. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. That's so sweet. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him, notice, in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Okay, let's remember, David, the youngest of eight brothers, and um, scholars estimate he was anywhere between 10 and 15 years old, somewhere in there. That's amazing to me. He was a young shepherd. He lived in Bethlehem, and Bethlehem was not a highly regarded place. So seemingly, David was a nobody. That he was a nobody that was anointed on this day by the Lord in front of his brothers. It was this nobody that the Spirit of the Lord would rush upon from this day. For whenever God's Spirit shows up, there's always power. There's always power. The historian Josephus, we don't know if this is true or not, but the historian Josephus said that as Samuel was anointing David, he whispered in his ear what was happening. You, you are the future king of Israel. Because his brothers and his dad didn't seem really to get it because there was really no change and they, again, they kept ridiculing him and stuff like that. But it's just a, just a cool thought to think. Josephus said, Samuel is anointing his son. You are the future king of Israel. And, and this, is, this is young David. And it all starts with his heart that is passionately in pursuit of the Lord. This, this is the heart that God uses. You know, we need hearts like this in our day as much as ever. There's never been a greater time in the history of our nation where we need hearts like this. How can I not think of a 10 to 15-year-old in David and look at this room right now and think of a 10 to 15-year-old that's here, a man or a woman or a young man, young woman, and just beg God that he would set apart such hearts. Who knows who's in our midst? And the impact we have in shaping hearts 
hearts that love the Lord. But I end with this, and I want you to think about this. Okay, I, I want my heart to be set on God. I want my heart. But listen, the only way this is even possible, the only way it's even possible for us to have hearts anywhere near the way that we want them to be is because of another boy that was born in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. And this boy also would be a shepherd, but he would be the good shepherd. And any sheep that belongs to him by believing in him, they will never be cast out and they will never be lost. It was this boy that would come also from the root of David and he would also be set apart and anointed by the Holy Spirit and he would also be a king, but he would be the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And all, any person who looks to this king, Jesus Christ, is the one who finds life and forgiveness and salvation for eternity. And think about it. I love, I love the Bible. It's all, David's life ultimately pointed to the life of Jesus Christ. And it's the life of Jesus Christ that ultimately gives David any hope and any strength and any purpose and any meaning. So David was foreshadowing Jesus, but everything David was was rooted in Jesus Christ, looking forward to what Jesus would do by living and dying and being raised from the dead and then sending his spirit to fill us. You and I, the only hope we have of being men and women with a heart on fire for Jesus Christ is the more Christ fills our hearts, the more our hearts are then used for him. The grace that is available here and now by Jesus Christ is awesome. And he loves you so much and he wants your heart because when he has your heart, he has your everything. Thank you, God. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would have our everything. And maybe you want to just surrender to the Lord right now. Maybe you want to lay down sin in your life. Maybe you want to just take a moment of dedication and sincerity before God and say, Lord, I want, I want you to take my heart. I want you to fill my heart. I want to be a woman. I want to be a man set apart in the pursuit of God with a heart for him. Oh, Lord, move in this church. I pray there would be yes. I pray there would be young men and women just like David, unusually focused on Jesus, unusually filled with affection. But I, but I also pray mom and dads and old and young, just as a church, we'd be the fellowship of the burning hearts, men and women following you, strengthened by you, filled by you, saved by you, setting our hearts upon you. Lead us, Lord. I just give you this series. This series in David, I pray it'll be one of the most impactful ones we've ever done. And just because you're at the center of it all, and you'll be causing us, Lord, to be men and women of such fruitfulness, resulting in your glory. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.